Welcome to HCS Talks. I'm your host, Superintendent Raymond Haynes. This is our Hampton City Schools podcast that we started at the end of August. If it is important to students, parents, teachers, or the community, we hope to cover it on HCS Talks. The goal is to inform, educate, and even entertain you. So we hope you will stay tuned and keep listening. Today I'm here with Ms. Tirza Sorrell Janes, who is Phoebus High School's 2023 Teacher of the Year and our 2023-2024 Hampton City Schools High School Teacher of the Year. So thank you for being here today with us, Ms. Sorrell Janes. Please tell the listening audience a little bit about yourself. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, about myself, this is my least favorite subject. We could have talked about any number of things, and myself is probably my least favorite topic to talk about. But I would say that at my core, I am a storyteller. Be- beyond that, I think I'm a story collector. Um, one of my students told me one time that I was a soul weaver, that I was some, they had read it in a book, that I was someone who liked to take the pieces of people and put them back together. All right. And I like to find what stories match with other stories and do that. And I think um, I like that description of being a soul weaver and someone who just um, likes to collect people's stories. That's very unique. So where are you from? Are you from this area? What brought you here? My father was in the military. So um, I spent most of my high school um, years in Northern Virginia, which was pretty exciting, in an IB program and very excited about that. And then we got orders, as which happens with the, the military, and we were sent to a place in North Carolina that did not have the IB program. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up spending a lot of time in North Carolina, and I have just finally come home. All right. Well, we're very fortunate to have you here in Hampton City Schools. Tell the audience what you do here at Phoebus High School. I am the instructional lead for science. Um, I am the chaos commander. Um, <laughs> I kind of coordinate um, what goes on out there because we uh, definitely are about the hands-on learning in science here at VBIS. So what particular science do you teach? I teach anatomy and physiology is my first love, but I also teach environmental science um, and the remedial biology. I prefer to teach the kids that other people find a little more difficult to teach. Right. So you sort of find that edge and, and what makes them click and get them motivated. To they do are my people. Yes, ma'am. So how long have you been here at Phoebus? I have been at Phoebus, I believe, eight years. Eight years. Mm-hmm. Have you taught any place else? I taught in uh, Winston-Salem at a high school that had pocket academies for the IB program. And what actually drew me back to um, Hampton City, to Northern Virginia or to the Virginia area was that Hampton City had pocket academies and it was very exciting to see the transformation going from pocket academies to wall-to-wall academies. I definitely believe in the model as a way to teach kids. I think it makes it very, very easy um, as, as a Mitch to teach through the nice. lens and science, super nice. easy. Teaching through the lens and making that learning relevant for them. They're, they're able to see how this science is connected to that particular academy or pathway that they're interested in and passionate about. So Absolutely. that is what it's all about. And it's glad to hear you able to talk and articulate how you're connecting science to those particular academies and pathways as well. So how long have you actually been teaching? You said eight years at Phoebus. How long have you been teaching altogether? About 21 years. 21 years. So most of that time was in North Carolina? Most of it was in North Carolina. We're approaching almost half and half here here now, but most of that time was in North Carolina. I actually am trained as a physical therapist, so I was wow. not a teacher by nature. Matter of fact, I ran from the profession. It was the last thing <laughs> on my list of what I wanted to do. 
And um, I went through about um, a struggle with infant loss and infertility and was kind of in between jobs at, at that point. And a really dear friend said, um, I'm going on my honeymoon and I need a substitute teacher and I love the way that you are and I want you to take care of my kids. So I actually trying to become a substitute teacher because a friend was going on their honeymoon, yes, which was man. weird. Um, but I got in the classroom and I loved it. And I realized that there was not a lot of difference between people in pain and adolescents. And that that was my jam that I had been teaching my whole life. And I was so comfortable in the classroom. And I, even as a substitute, I enjoyed just being with the kids. So when we looked at infertility and adoption was probably going to be where we were going to go, I figured I was because spent so much money on infertility, I wasn't going to be a stay-at-home mom. But the only way I could really be involved in my kid's life is if I was part of the school system. So I made the career switch and jumped into the classroom. Well, you got that bug and that passion came inside of you for the education profession. But you still are, you keep your certification up in physical therapy? Or are you still doing any of that in any way? Through I do that as part of a wellness company that I own. And I kind of do that sort of on the side. That industry itself became something that was not familiar to me. It became very much driven by money, driven by um, other people telling you. And I'm very much a woo-woo, hands-on kind of a person. And so I think I probably do more therapy on a daily basis in the classroom than I probably would do in a hospital now. <laughs> So what is, I mean, you talked a lot about this, but is there a particular favorite thing you have about teaching or some of your favorite things about teaching? My absolute thing, favorite thing about teaching, whether I'm teaching adults or whether I'm teaching children, is that spark of hope when that light clicks and you can see that something has connected. And that's why I said that whole description of me being a weaver of souls is that when that connection hits and you see that spark of hope, that is why I get up in the morning. <laughs> and it doesn't really matter whether I'm in a classroom, whether I'm on a boat, whether I'm out at, you know, in a hospital, wherever I am, when I'm able to talk to someone else and see them take charge of their life and see that spark of hope, that's what lights me up. That's a beautiful thing. Can you tell the listening audience about some of the work that you have accomplished? Well, I would say, I think taking a department when we had um, so many brand new, I mean, wet behind the ears, baby teachers, <laughs> five at one in one year, taking them and seeing them all together as a team and, you know, adopt the academy model to adopt the model that, you know, with the curriculum instruction and looking at, let's all do this together. Let's co-plan. Let's do that. We didn't have any bad habits. They were brand new. And right. so we didn't have any bad habits to undo. And we just kind of drank the Kool-Aid and jumped right in. And I think turning our department from one of the worst in the division to one of the best in the division was amazing to just sit back and watch. And I was really excited. I had a front row seat for that. So having uh, a person like you leading that department, I think it helps with part of our goals and mission to attract, recruit, and retain exceptional staff. And I think that's really what drew me, has kept me here. I would say drew me here was the academy model. I think what kept me here was the ability to lead outside the classroom, to lead inside the classroom, and also to just to innovate and to do things. You can't innovate and do something that's never been done before unless you're, if you're afraid to fail or if you're afraid politically about what will happen to you if it does go wrong. Correct. And I think Hampton City Schools does a great job at creating safe spaces for innovation. Yes, ma'am. So what other extracurricular activities uh, do you support at Phoebus or with Hampton City Schools? There are quite a few. I'm definitely big in the um, extended learning programs, and my passion project is absolutely the floating classroom but we also have a hydroponic greenhouse here. We are putting in a food forest here. 
Um, so those, those kind of things really kind of jazz me up. But I also am the varsity head coach of the swim team. And so that has been really, really a fun. I'm in my 12, my half day season. I only work 12 hours, just a half day. This is my half day season from November to February in which I do extended learning program and coaching and teaching full time. So how long have you been coaching the swim team? This is my third year. Third year. And how's the swim team doing? Phenomenal. Good. How many folks do you have on the team? We have 35 active swimmers who compete, and we have 48 swimmers on the roster. So we teach them to swim. So we don't just say, we'll take people who already know how to swim. Uh, we are actively engaged in teaching them to swim. So they spend a little time on the developmental team and on their practice team until they feel confident, and then they jump in. Nice. And we should make some noise in regionals here in a couple of weeks. That's great to hear. So what are your thoughts on the Aquaplex? I absolutely love it. What a glorious place to to practice, to be a part of, and to see people's love of swimming, to bring that love of swimming, even international meets here. I think it's a great way to showcase Hampton um, as a city. I think what I would like to see them do with it a little more, and I'll put a plug in for this, is more diversity in swimming. It is the only sport that can save your life. It's the only sport you can do your entire life, you know, and compete at that high level your entire life. And I would I hate that there are so many programs that fell, especially even after COVID, that fell off, and that a lot of especially the HBCUs only have club teams or their mm-hmm. club teams aren't sponsored. And I would love to see us be a champion for diversity in swimming as a city. I think we're doing some some um, some very creative and I think outstanding things around uh, working with the Aquaplex and the YMCA with the. Second grade, learn to swim. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yes. And getting young people out there at that very early age. We're surrounded by water, so why not make certain that we teach young people the safety around water and swimming? And we've we've seen a lot of benefits from that in that there are some adults who who don't know how to swim and have taken on those lessons along with the second graders at the elementary school. So we're doing some very uh, forward-thinking things around ensuring safety around water and water safety and taking advantage of what that what the Aquaplex has to offer in, in connection with Absolutely. the YMCA. And even with our academies, it's just understanding that if you have that ability, there are so many jobs around that water industry that you can't be afraid when you're around water. Yes. So as part of the floating mm-hmm. classroom, I actually became a water um, safety instructor so I could teach those kids how to swim, but also basic water safety. My goal is that they will become lifeguard certified or dive certified by the time they graduate from high school so that we nice. can put them into those internships. Nice. So you're into a lot, and it's a great thing because the impact that you're making on the community and our young people is, is tremendous. So talk a little bit about your work with the floating classroom. The Floating Classroom is a program that touches all of the academies of Hampton. And now, as we're expanding that K-12 model, is going to touch all of the kids in Hampton City Schools. We have endeavored to put a STEM lab on a boat. I actually remember when the idea came about, Captain Irving and Ms. Hurd were talking about um, get us getting an airplane. And I flippantly just mentioned to them, we don't need an airplane. We're surrounded by water. We need a boat. And that's kind of where the idea came from and how it kind of took place. And it was so nice to see it 
morph into and kind of see that dream come true. So it's definitely a passion project um, of mine and something that definitely fuels me, creating lessons, creating transformational experiences for kids, letting them be part of actually doing the hard work of putting the STEM lab onto this vessel and understanding all things maritime as well as they relate to science and the community. And it's really turned them into amazing community partners. They are caretakers of the marina. They are, they're oyster gardening there at the marina. They um, want to make sure everyone picks up their trash at the marina. They want to make sure that people who come by, that they talk to, that they get a chance to kind of connect with the community, that people know what's going on there. And they're definitely caretakers about new boats coming in from other waters and making sure that they're not bringing invasive species um, or doing anything that could possibly harm their baby oysters or change the water quality of the Hampton Marina. Absolutely. And going back to what you said, that water safety piece is, is paramount to this work as well. It just connects us to all of that. What I find also to be amazing about the uh, floating classroom is that it will touch most, if not all, the academies and pathways. So you can see how each one of these pathways and academies play a part in creating this uh, floating classroom and STEM lab from all aspects. And then, like you mentioned, uh, engaging elementary and middle school students and being a part of this as well. So Just bringing that curriculum to life and yes. actually but anchoring it in part of the city. So I think it makes them better community members. So their lives or science come to life for them. It also connects them to where they live, to the history of where they live to their community right. um, and it's something active that they can do you know for a lifetime can't say enough about the community's involvement in this and us working together so it speaks to that mantra of one community one transformation so you mentioned the uh Greenhouse as well. Tell the audience about the greenhouse. We have a hydroponic greenhouse, um, which hydroponics means that there's no soil involved. It's all nutrients in the water, which means we can raise uh, larger crops, higher yield, faster yields. And so we do a kind of a farm to table here. So we take those little tiny seeds and they grow them up, harvest them. And within a few weeks, we can harvest and actually have the kids in the culinary program making dishes, doing this, but we also can donate to the food banks. So what types of foods are you harvesting? Right now, we've been doing a lot of leafy greens. We've done tomatoes, we've done cucumbers, but we added to that when we realized that this hydroponic was cool. It was like, well, what's the difference between that and we do it in the ground? So we added that community garden out back. So now we have winter crops in, in that because we're in the greenhouse is a little hard when it gets a little cold, maintaining the climate the way that we need it to be. So we switch to the outdoor gardening in the wintertime for the kale and the collards and the broccoli. So you have collards. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, before, before you leave today, we'll make sure you take some collards <laughs> home with you. We, we affectionately call them as Pollard's collards. <laughs> Mr. Coakley's broccoli. Broccoli too? We have broccoli out there growing. Wow. The kids actually wanted to know what would happen if we let the broccoli keep growing. Like what the part of the broccoli that we eat, what is that? And I told them it was the flower, and they didn't believe me. So we're letting it actually bloom right. so they can see that it's beautiful blue flowers. Nice. Are you all going to get to the point where you uh, start selling some of the produce? or? I think that is the goal. I think our first thing was that Phoebus is a food desert, mm-hmm. and that's where that idea was born out of. Uh, first and foremost, we want to make sure that we support our families who are food insecure. And once we do that, then absolutely it's an option to create it to be a sustainability piece that we could sell it at a, a lower cost. But our big passion is to make sure that there are healthy choices. I think the thing that they learned this year as a 
a group is that the WIC program is amazing. Mm. However, it is the least, most common denominator of nutritious right. foods and that children are actually being raised on the least nutritious foods. Right. So, of course, when they're a teenager, it's hard to make a good choice because why do you want to eat healthy, nutritious foods when you've never been exposed to yes. them? And that healthy eating and healthy choices we know is critically important. So. We could ask McDonald's to switch over to a totally healthy menu and they would go out of business because the demand isn't there. So we are trying through by education and by exposure, help families expose them to higher density nutrition and those opportunities early in life so that it's easier to make healthy choices as they get older. Oh, I think that is a remarkable thing. Remarkable, truly remarkable. And I can't say enough about all that you are involved in in terms of extracurricular activities. So not only do you science lead, but you have totally immersed yourself in all things related to Phoebus High School and the Hampton community. I certainly can't thank you enough. So how does it feel to be recognized as the Division High School Teacher of the Year? It is absolutely a humbling experience. It, I, I have the pleasure of serving with some of the greatest educators, I think, throughout the country, not just the state of Virginia, but throughout the country. And to be named as, you know, the best of the best of them is absolutely, truly an honor. I think that folks recognize the impact that you're making here at Phoebus High School and, and throughout the division, and you certainly should be acknowledged for that. So congratulations to you once again for that. Thank you. Any main goals or focuses for this school year? Well, honestly, I kind of set my goals for me because as I go, as that's how my school year will go. And um, this year, right at the end of the year, I lost a very dear friend, and I was kind of thinking, what's my word going to be? And as I sat in meditation, I kept coming in. It was leap, and it kept coming up leap. And then it hit me. It was a leap year, and I'm like, that's the perfect word. So that is my word. So I think this year it's, it's action. Not just talk about those good ideas. Not talk about those goals. What are absolute steps that can be taken to just start that active process? So every single thing. So I'm excited to break ground on the food forest. I'm doing my environmental science babies out there digging up. Um, the berm and kind of laying that and like re-engineering how we do that so they get more of a hands-on. So, oh, by so the time wait a minute. Graduate, Every time I talk to you, I learned something new. The food forest, is that associated with the greenhouse or what is that? You know, here's the thing. When you garden and you have a greenhouse, that's very work-intensive, very labor-intensive. And at this stage of the game, I've decided, you know, I'm working a little too hard and doing too much. But who gardens the forest? Who caretakes the forest? It's like it just kind of does it on its own and it's really plentiful. So what if we could create a forest situation with food, edible plants? And is that really a thing? And we discovered that it is a thing. And if we do it the correct way, we won't have to garden it. It will do it on its own and we will reap the benefits and the rewards by having fruits and nuts and edible plants that we don't have to spend time in. We just have to do the prep work and then let Mother Nature take over. So where are you now with food forest? Where, what phase or how far along? We are ready to, to break ground. We ran into a little bit of a snafu of an engineering problem um, where we had decided to put it, where we had kind of done, there was a little bit of problem with the, the building and maintenance. So at this point, we're going to have an engineer come in. And I think it would be awesome because at the top of the stairs, we we want to put stairs and I was like, that's a water runoff problem. So we're going to create a situation that kind of gently comes down and slopes down so that we can get to all of the plants. Because if we don't on that hill, we won't be able to harvest. All right. And so they're coming up. So it's really become a really cool engineering STEM program. Nice. How do we get, you know, to all of the plants and build something on a hill? 
So do you have uh, students in various academies working alongside this? Was it one particular academy? We started, actually it was a freshman academy that did it. I had a freshman class of um, students who were kind of your hands-on, a lot of tier three kids and a lot of kids that just really needed that, that hands-on. And we started talking and they researched and they did. And I was like, well, we did this, but how are we going to pay for this? So I taught them how to write a grant. They wrote the grant. I didn't, you know, so they did each nice. component and section. And so now they are our sophomore advisors. So they're in a bunch of different academies, but they're still advisors on the program. And then we took in with the ACE Academy kids with our AP environmental science kids are kind of the the advisors, but kind of the hands-on engineers of, of what's going on. So we're kind of brought together three levels of students to work on this project. I think that is remarkable. Just taking uh, um, young people from different academies, different grade levels, and they're collaborating on presenting or finalizing this food for us. That's what it's all there'll about. There'll be videos and there'll be marketing and there will be, you know, there's definitely, it's always an engineering and robotics time out kind of a thing. So I'd love my engineering kids to come out there and help us solve engineering, problems. Engineering, robotics, hospitality, and tourism, audio, All together. So visual. anything that we can weave everything together with the theme of what we do here at VBIS, we try Very to nice. all hands on deck. I'm looking forward to the outcome and the finished product as well. So it is my understanding, Ms. Sarah James, that you have your own podcast and I know this a couple of months ago, I interviewed two young men, uh, Caleb Lucas and Henry Godfrey. They talked about their own podcast. So tell us a little bit about your podcast. That is an absolutely amazing, fun idea that came about because we were in the library. Beth Horn and I were in the library having conversations on the regular basis. And someone came up and said to us, I love when you two are in here talking. I love to eavesdrop on your conversations. And I wish you would do a podcast. And I mentioned that um, I had no idea how to do a podcast and that would be fun. And it was actually Caleb Lucas who came and told us, hey, we know how to do a podcast. We can help you and we'll, we'll walk you through it. And so we started that endeavor. Um, with our students showing us how to do it and talking to us. And it actually is produced here at Phoebus High School with the, um, the Academy of Digital Video Production is our production team. They're our social media managers. They video us. So we actually have a um, YouTube channel. Uh, the podcast is both video and audio, and it is available wherever you get um, your podcast. They have put us on just about every place to get a podcast. It is called Making Waves by Wild Waves Wellness. Right now, we're on a series about communication and your communication styles. It's actually modeled after Marshall Rosenberg's work. So you videotape them as well. So you say communication and communication styles. Any particular thing jump out at you in, in these podcasts in relation to communication? I think the feedback from men that we've gotten, which kind of thing is teaching as a female-dominated professional that the most feedback we've gotten, who've been most able to come and sought us out to tell us how it's making a difference for them, have been the men in our audience who have said, it's made me a better husband, it's made me a better dad, it's made me a brother, brother. This is how I communicate with people in general. So it's not really just about how you communicate as a teacher, but as a person. Right. So what are you observing? You know, how do you communicate with your feelings? So that has, I think, been the biggest surprise for us was the feedback we got from the males in our audience. So how many podcasts have you done Seven. so far? Seven. And they're all about communication and communication styles? We took a series. We have a series of books. And so what we wanted to do was we did a PD on this communication style. And just follow up for the PD instead of doing a book club, instead of trying to get it together, we said, let's just turn it into a podcast and we'll keep the conversation going. And that has what has happened. And so we have, I think, 25 that are written out that we're ready to, to kind of roll with. Right. We hit a little bit of a production snafu, but the kids are ready to start back up in February um, with our production. But we have 
um, quite a few episodes ready to go, continuing on this ongoing topic of communication. So what type of feedback or advice would you give me on podcasts? I know what Caleb and Henry told me, but what type of feedback would you give me? I would say it's the authenticity that is the biggest thing. To You start with an idea in mind, but don't be afraid to let it go in a, in a different place. Because for me as your audience member, right. so if I was said, what's going to make me want to listen to your podcast? It's like, okay, well, he's my boss and you know it's about school and I do school all day. Why would I want to listen to that podcast? Right. But if I know I'm going to get to know you as a person, like who's the person behind the tie? You know, if you never know what's going to happen... That would make me want to, to go ahead and to listen. So I say just, you know, keep that authentic. Don't be afraid to, you know, let people peek behind the curtain, that kind of a thing. That's good advice. That's good advice. What type of advice have they given you when you all, you and Beth, first started the podcast? They told us to go off script. And I think that was the biggest thing. They were like, you know, just just forget about everyone in the room was happening. It's about what the conversation, what's your message, what, you know, stay true to your message. Anything else you'd like to share with the listening audience? I just really appreciate this opportunity. Um, I love that that you are doing that. This is kind of, you know, it's nice to see you innovate. Um, so, you're, you know, you're leading a division that is known for its innovation. It's nice to see you get out of your comfort zone um, come out of your office to do this um, and to innovate and to see kind of what goes into to these types of things. Well, I thank you so much for sharing that, but I also thank you for all the work that you do. And you do quite a bit. Just in talking with you today, I knew that you were thoroughly immersed in all things Hampton City Schools, but I didn't know to this extent. And even in this podcast, I'm sure there are some things you didn't share with me that you are continuing to do at, here at Phoebus and in the Hampton community and continue to make a positive impact. So I thank you for joining us today, Ms. Saul James, and uh, for all the hard work you do each and every day to support our young people in the core business of teaching and learning. And to our listeners, remember, education is the most powerful weapon you can use to change the world. As one community, one transformation, we will ensure academic excellence for every child, every day, whatever it takes. Until next time. Listen to learn more about Hampton City Schools. New episodes of HCS Talks drop on Thursdays. Subscribe and listen to HCS Talks. HCS Talks is a Hampton City Schools production.